Welcome to another episode of Topical with Michael Schaefer. Once again, writing solo this week. Got a lot to talk about, though. We're going to talk about Eurovision. We're going to talk about Harry and Meghan having a high-speed car chase through the streets of New York. We're going to talk about the AFL. A new, t- new team is coming into the league. They've got a new stadium that may or may not be built. Plus, we might even talk about how uh, people are ripping into Chelsea Handler, US comedian for... Uh, deciding not to have children, which uh, I relate to as someone who also doesn't really want to have kids. Before we get into that, I've got shows coming up in Brisbane that are pretty much sold out 25th to the 28th of May, where we had an extra show on the 27th of May at 5pm if you want to come along. Then I've got a show on the Gold Coast on the 3rd of June. I've been told by the venue that it's selling well but that there are still tickets left. So purchase those if you're on the Gold Coast. Then I'm going to be in London on the 27th of July. Tickets for that will be available soon. I'm just chatting with the venue. And then I'll be at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival from the 3rd to the 27th of August. So come and check me out there if you're in the UK. Before we get into the show, let's play the intro music. And when I come back, I'll be talking about the news. One small step for podcast. One giant leap for comedy. We are stripped down and ready to go. I'll never surrender. But I ain't spending any time on it. Please explain. I'm going to. Okay? Welcome back to the show. Hope you enjoy the intro music. Guys, huge, huge controversy this year at Eurovision. It just happened over the last couple of days and I saw a tweet that was particularly concerning. Uh, Someone tweeted that there were too many drag queens at Eurovision this year and they were upset about drag queen culture being thrust down our throats. That's what the tweet said. Uh, I think it's one of the all-time great idiot tweets because if you're watching Eurovision, you've got to be prepared for drag queens. It's it's kind of what they're known for. If you're watching Eurovision and, and a performer is not in drag, they're not making it through to the next round. They're all in drag. You can't be surprised by drag queens at Eurovision. I get there's all this controversy about drag queens at the moment and I've been talking about it on the show for the last few weeks. I get if you go to a library and there's a drag queen reading to a child, I get how you might wonder, oh, that's that's not something I normally see in the libraries. And I'm not saying that's, you shouldn't see that in libraries. I think it's fantastic. Go for it. But I can understand posing the question, if you're in a library and you see a drag queen, you might be like, oh, what's going on over here? You can't ask that question when you're watching Eurovision because it's a whole, if you want to ask a question about who should and should not be at Eurovision, uh, start with Australia. Uh, You should be more confused by Australia's participation in Eurovision than by drag queens. But let's get into the big controversy of the week because Harry and Meghan have been involved in a high-speed car chase through the streets of New York and then you'll click on the web on the story and you shouldn't click on the story but you might click on the story and then there will be a photograph taken by a, a paparazzo and the photograph will be 
uh, one of those from one of those long range lenses, like four kilometers away, uh, and they're like hiding inside of a bush, and they'll snap a photo of a of a celebrity in a bikini just lounging around their own private residence at the pool. And then they'll be like, oh, look at this celebrity flaunting her body for the public. Uh, that's not flaunting. If you're just in your own private residence and some asshole with a $12,000 camera takes a photo from you from uh, the next city over, that's not, you're not flaunting. You're just trying to enjoy yourself and you got this asshole in the bushes which is should be probably it's probably illegal and you're it's real creepy and real weird but for some reason that's a genuine profession and if you get a photo of margot robbie in a bikini when she wasn't expecting to be photographed apparently you can sell that for thousands of dollars i think paparazzi are scum i don't i and people are taking the side of the paparazzi people are like oh you know just let them take their photos why are harry and megan running away from the paparazzi. I don't know. I think it might have something to do. And this is my, this is crazy. This could be a crazy theory. I'm not sure if anyone else has connected these dots, but I'm going to connect the dots for you here on this podcast. Dots, dots are about to be connected. Are you ready for these this dot-to-dot connection? So I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but, but Harry's mother was Princess Diana. And a lot of people don't know this about Princess Diana famously quite quite famously uh died in a car crash whilst fleeing paparazzi now i don't want to draw some crazy dots here but i reckon that if your mum had died in a high-speed car chase in paris because paparazzi were chasing them I suspect that maybe you might get some uh, traumatic flashbacks when you find yourself in New York one day and you're leaving a gala and all these paparazzi are chasing you around the streets. I don't know. I feel like that might be a bit bit confronting, a bit upsetting for someone who has a history of their mother uh, being killed by paparazzi chasing them. I don't know. That's I'm not a psychologist. But I suspect that might have been something that was going through Harry's mind in particular at the time. So, look, I don't want to take sides here, but I, I just can't find myself on the side of the paparazzi because I think the paparazzi, as I said, they're scum, they're parasites, they're disgusting, and they need to be put down. And the reason why I hate them so much is because they they spend all their time uh, chasing and harassing just like your average celebrity like Harry, Meghan, movie stars, pop stars, whatever, you, you, you never see them harassing and, and, and invading the privacy of, of criminals. Why aren't they doing that? I mean, like, if you can get a high-powered photograph of Margaret Robbie from 15 kilometers away, why don't you have a high-powered photograph of Jeffrey Epstein's island showing uh, Bill Clinton there? I, I don't understand why they're spending all this time chasing celebrities and getting photographs of them when we already know what they look like. They're always doing these photo ops. Like, what do we need another photograph of Beyonce for? But for some reason, we still don't have photographs of everyone who went to Epstein's Island. It's in, it's insane. If, if paparazzi really want to win back the, the public's uh, love and interest, I really think they got to start staking out uh, predators, pedophiles, these types of people. So if you're a paparazzo, paparazzo listening, 
maybe uh, start hunting down the, the pedophiles. I'm just saying that's just a, something that could uh, really help society and make people hate you less. I will say this about the Harry and Meghan car chase is, I mean, this comes like a week after Harry was just at his father's coronation. And I, oh, I mean, I got to say, it must have been hard for him to just uh, realize where he's at because he's just gone from seeing his father uh, and, and stepmom, I guess, Camilla, just parading around the streets of London in literally a golden carriage, like a, a carriage that's made of gold uh, and there's like horses driving them through the parades, etc., etc. Beautiful, incredible affair. Wonderful use of um, taxpayer money. And he's gone from that and, and then like a week later, he finds himself literally in the back of a New York City yellow cab and he's stuck in traffic and being handed by paparazzi. I mean... I wonder if at that point he looks at Meg and he's like, ugh, Megs, we could have been in the golden carriage. We could have been in the golden carriage. I know they were racist. I know they were racist. Yes, they asked what color the baby was going to be. Yes, they asked. Yes, Philip was real racist. Yes, he would say the N-word a bit. Yeah, I get that. He was hard to be around. He was, he was annoying. But oh, I'll tell you what, golden carriage would have been would have been nice right now, just to have the lanes cleared for the horses and the golden carriage instead of being stuck in this yellow cab with a taxi driver who's probably carrying on a conversation with his family back home and just doesn't give a shit about the paparazzi chasing them. You know, he hasn't even turned the meter on. He's 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 going to rip us off. I wonder if at that point he looked at Megan and was like, "Ugh, I love you, but here we are, stuck in traffic in New York, and I don't think this cab driver is going to take card. I think this is a cash-only job. Tough times for Harry and Megan. Speaking of tough times, tough times for the AFL because, what a segue, because... In Australia, they're launching a new AFL team in Tasmania, which is uh, not famous for, for lots of things. They've got the Tasmanian uh, Devil, uh, and they're the home of Hannah Gadsby, and that's kind of uh, it for Tasmania. But very excitingly for Tas... Oh, and also they're kind of famous for um, uh, being incestuous and, and having uh, you know two heads and other, other defects. Um this is. I'm not saying that's that's true. I'm just trying to educate international audiences. So, if you're from Tasmania, I'm sorry for upsetting you, and I I hope that um, you can if you if you just want to stop listening, I'll understand. And if you want to take out the the four earbuds from your your four ears and two heads, I'll understand. But my point is that Tasmania has just been lucky enough to be granted. A, a license for their own football team, their own AFL team. Very exciting stuff. They're going to be the 19th team in the AFL. And it's all predicated, though, all the funding from the government is predicated on them building a stadium in Hobart, which is the capital of Tasmania. And it was all kind of like a greater bond, but then when it was announced that 
the government was going to spend all this money on a new stadium, uh, a lot of people got very upset and people are protesting about this waste of government funds to the point where the Liberal government down in Tasmania might, I think it's found itself now in a minority government because a few people have left the party over this issue and it could lead to a snap election. It could just be the undoing of the government down there. But everyone's protesting about the costs of this of this stadium. And look, I don't know the numbers exactly here. I'm not an economist. I don't. I'm, I'm sure that there is a very strong business case for the stadium, but perhaps it is going to be a waste of money. Who knows? My point is this. First of all, uh, if you live in Hobart, I think you should support the stadium purely because it's something to do. There's not a lot to do in Hobart. And I say that with love and care because I've got friends who live in Hobart. I've been to Hobart several times to do shows and do gigs. And i got to say, there's not a heap going on. Whenever I speak to my friend who is from Hobart, I'm like, how was your weekend? What did you do? He says, I didn't do anything. And that's, that's lovely. I think it's nice not to do anything. But it's also nice sometimes to do something. And one of the things you can do uh, is going to the football. And I think this is an opportunity to go to the footy in Hobart. It's nice. Gives people something to do, a reason to go out of the house. I think it's going to be good for tourism. I think overall it's probably a good thing. And I understand that people are concerned about the cost of the stadium. I understand it's going to cost $100 million to the local government. Of course, that's, that's a lot of money. Have you considered, though, just to keep costs down, have we considered using migrant workers? Now, I know that's a controversial take, but hear me out. So last year, there was a big, I'm not sure I remember the Qatar World Cup. Remember the World Cup we had last year, the Qatar World Cup? Big news because uh, people didn't like the fact that all the stadiums uh, in Qatar were built on the graves of uh, dead slave migrant workers. Now, a lot of people were opposed to that. A lot of people have a, a lot of people have a strong anti slavery stances and i'm look i'm not going to you know i'm not trying to be political here i don't try to be too political in this podcast i try to keep my ideologies to myself as long-time listeners would know but look i'm i'm anti-slavery i think slavery is bad i'll say it i'll take that controversial stance i think slavery is bad what i will say though is people don't really care that much about slavery And, and what i mean is People were upset about the the migrant workers and stuff for like a few days, maybe a couple of weeks in Qatar. And then the tournament started and it was really good and the soccer matches were great and Lionel Messi was doing well and Morocco made it to a semi-final and that was amazing. And we forgot about the dead Nepalese people who... Uh, died in 50 degree heat whilst building these stadiums we forgot and my point is that perhaps we would also forget if we did that to build the Tasmania stadium so what I'm just saying you could do is just to keep the cost down keep everyone happy let's bring in some workers from third world countries and let's uh, pay them no money no money to build the stadium and now yes that might get some some attention. It might get some some negative attention from the press, from the media. But if you just look at history, people will forget about it after a few days because we'll move on to the next thing, like you know whether or not drag queens are grooming our children, and that will just dominate 
headlines uh, indefinitely. So my point is, if you want to keep the costs down, let's let's get some uh, migrant workers in. Uh, let's not pay them anything. And by the time you know we've kicked off round one in 2028, and the Tassie Devils are beating Collingwood in front of a sold-out crowd of 22,500 people. No one will remember the, the dead workers who built the stadium. They will only remember how good the sporting spectacle was. And if that's anything, if that's what we can learn from the Qatar World Cup experience, I think that we can try that in Australia. I'm just trying to make everyone happy here. So let's give that a shot. And look, I understand like, you know, sport and politics, uh, we try to keep them separate, but they, they always they always do mix and we've seen that again with the afl by the way just because the uh voice to parliament vote which is coming up at the end of the year people are voting on whether or not the indigenous people should have a body that will advise parliament on indigenous matters that's coming up at the end of the year and the afl has endorsed voting yes so the afl has said we're we're voting yes and we we've consulted with our our members and our staff and our, our stakeholders, we, we vote yes. We encourage you to vote yes. And they've even kind of lent on the clubs as well and said to the clubs, you know, we'd like it if if you could also announce that you're supporting the vote. And so now a lot of clubs have come out and said, yep, we too are going to uh, support the vote. We vote yes, et cetera, et cetera. Kind of makes sense for a lot of these clubs because they've got a lot of Indigenous players, Indigenous members. And of course, it's, you know, it's kind of, I mean, I want to say it's altruistic of these clubs to come out and make these statements. I don't think it is, though. I think they're just protecting their, their corporate interests and their brands. And that's fine, keeping the sponsors happy. That's, that's, that's fine. That's a legitimate reason for doing things these days. I mean, it's a shame that they probably don't really care that much about the outcome. They care really more about keeping the sponsors happy, keeping the members happy, keeping the players happy. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're coming out and I think they're supporting the right decision on this vote. However, people are upset by this because people think that sport, some people think that sport and politics should be separate. Now, that's a lovely idea in theory, but it's impossible to actually achieve. You can't separate sport and politics. We saw that with the Qatar World Cup. That was that was just so deeply intertwined with um, human rights abuses, gay rights, uh, not killing slaves. That that was so intertwined, and that was the, that just dominated the debate for months. You just can't keep sport and politics separate. They're they're one and the same. And I think the people who always say we should keep sport and politics separate are remarkably silent on Anzac Day because on Anzac Day we. We you well the AFL uses Anzac Day to sell tickets to football matches over that weekend. It's a bizarre marriage between uh, the the Australian military and the and the AFL. For, for some reason, they've come together. The AFL have kind of like sniffed an opportunity to be like, hey, I mean, what we can do is we can like piggyback off the commemoration of our soldiers in order to sell tickets. To football matches, once again, you know that's the, their job is to sell tickets to football matches. That's their they're a corporation trying to make money. That's what they're they're meant to do. But 
that's clearly emerging of politics and sport because commemorating our soldiers and our military and armed forces is inherently political. A lot of people don't think that like, you know, Anzac Day is political. It's so, it's political. I mean, it's about commemorating war and war is kind of politics because war is what happens when politicians just tell 18-year-olds to go and kill other 18-year-olds who are being instructed by their politicians to kill our 18-year-olds. The point is, war is inherently political. But for some reason on Anzac Day, no one has an issue with sport and politics being intertwined there. But for some, but now we're getting upset when the AFL supports the yes vote. I mean, it's almost as if the people who are opposing the yes vote are, uh, are hypocrites. Almost. Speaking of war, Jeff Kennett, former uh, Liberal Premier of Victoria, this caught my eye this week. Jeff Kennett has come out and he has said that uh, Gen Z, so we're talking about uh, the kids these days on the TikTok doing the dances, he reckons they should be uh, required to do national service. So he wants to bring in uh, basically conscription, essentially, which is which would require people from like uh, once I hit eighteen to go and serve in the army. Now, it's an idea that's been floated around a lot, and we did have conscription in in the sixties and seventies for the, for the Vietnam War. In fact, Jeff Kennett himself was conscripted to fight in the Vietnam War. So, to his credit, he's talking from a place, I guess, of some authority here and some credibility that he has himself being conscripted and fought in the armed forces and you've got to respect that for sure but what i will say is that the vietnam war was not a it's not one it's not a good war i mean we can all agree that that was one of the worst wars that australia has been a part of because we really had no interest in being there it was a just an Awful, awful traumatic experience for our soldiers. They came back and no one took care of them. No one respected what they had done. And it was mostly because we were, most of Australia was like, what are we doing in Vietnam anyway? We're, we're fighting the communists because America wants to kill the communists. So we have to do it because we're allies with America. My point being is that I think someone who's been to that war and has been through that experience, surely they of all people would be like, okay, conscription maybe isn't like the best thing. Like we don't need to send every, we don't need to go to send everyone to war. It could be very effective if it does work. I mean, I'd feel very, very concerned about the Australian army if it soon became populated by Gen Z. Just because I don't think they're, equipped for war like i'm on tiktok and so I, I i deal with gen z a bit on the internet and they're all um clinically insane they all have anxiety and depression i just don't think that they are going to stop china's invasion of taiwan i don't think that we can rely on gen z to kind of take on the brunt of of that war i think they're kind of too progressive for war these 14 15 16 year olds 
I, I just don't think we want to put them on the, the front lines just yet. You kind of have to be, you know, old and jaded to, to kill someone. And I just think young people these days, they're too... They're too empathetic. I think that's my point. I think Gen Z are just... They're too empathetic, you know. If This is the generation that was told you can't even bully people anymore. They're not going to... I mean, if, if, you, if they've been told, hey, you can't bully people, and then they're told, yeah, now don't say mean things about Jaden on, on the internet, but also here's a gun, go and kill some Chinese people. I just think it's mixed messages for, for the young people. I think they'll be confused by going to war. Don't do it to them. I think really what we should be doing is just teaching Gen Z how to speak Mandarin because inevitably China will take Taiwan and then they'll take us. And if we want to just ensure that there's a smooth transition, we should all be speaking uh, Mandarin. I guess my whole point here is that uh, we shouldn't send Gen Z to war, teach them Chinese. That's a skill they can actually put into place. The last thing I want to chat about today is the war... A lot of war theme in this show. The war on childless women. Childless women are are a huge threat to conservatives, I've noticed. So the reason why I bring this up is because Chelsea Handler, who's a comedian over in the US, very, very funny comedian, she has been the target of a lot of online trolls and bullying and right-wing commentators like Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh attacking her for not having children and kind of being, I guess, proud and funny about that. And they're all very upset with her because she doesn't have children. And I've been, I don't have children myself and I don't really plan to have children. And I, I do ask, I do investigate and ask people why they want children. And when I see the comments on the internet attacking Chelsea Handler's decision not to have children... The one thing that is just constantly recurring in the comment section is people saying, well, who's going to look after her when she's, when she's older? Because I had children and I had children so that someone would like look after me when I was old. Guys, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but your kids are not going to look after you. I mean, why would they? I mean, I love my parents. I really do love my parents. We've got a fantastic relationship. We live nearby. I mean, we see each other all the time. I'm not going to look after them. I'm not going to do it. And when I say I'm not going to look after them, I'm not going to like have them in my home and care for them in my home. I'm not going to do that. I'll put them I'll put them in a in an aged care facility. I'll do that. That's what you that's the really the best thing you can hope for. As a parent, you the, the best you can hope for is that your children won't completely abandon you. The best you can hope for is that your children will put you in a home, hopefully not one of the homes where they, you know, they, they you see on the Royal Commissions where they, they beat you up. Hopefully not on one of those, you know, public homes where the old people get tasered because they keep shitting the bed. Hopefully your children don't put you in one of those homes. Those are bad homes. You don't want to be in those homes. But inevitably, the best thing you can hope for is that your kids are going to put you in a home. And that's something that, you know, you kind of have to accept. You can't rely on your kids to be looking after you, especially, by the way, if you're white. If you're white, your kids are not going to look after you. It's not ingrained into like white people culture to look after their parents. It's simply 
not. I mean, you look at um, non-white cultures like Asian families and, uh, and and Indian families. You often see these families having like one, two, three, you know, four generations sometimes living in the same home. And white people, we really kind of max out on two generations in a white person's home. Usually white people, maximum two generations and each generation wants the other to move out. So in a white person home, you got the parents who are like, I'm legally responsible for these children. But once I hit 18, they got to fuck off. And the kids are like, God, I hate the parents so much. I, I love it when they, they go away so that I can do whatever I want. So my point being is that it's not really within white culture to look after our kids. So if you're white and you're having kids because you hope that they're going to look after you, it's, it's, not gonna, it's just not going to happen for you. It's not going to happen for you. I'm sorry to tell you, don't have children for that reason. You should have children. I mean, you shouldn't have children, but if you're going to have children, like do it for like a good reason, you know, like I'm trying to think of a good reason to have children for the Instagram likes. That's a good reason. I mean, I've got friends who are having kids. They're posting photos of them on the internet. And these people who usually are not getting much traction or engagement on their content often getting hundreds of likes on a baby photo and all it is is just a baby with a sign next to it and the sign says I'm one year old today and likes rolling in so I guess have a child for the the social media validation but don't have a child to look after you that's uh you're not going to achieve that it's such a gamble to have a kid and hope, oh, I hope in 40 years' time we still like each other. It's not going to... The odds of that happening are so, so low. That's not a good reason to have kids, especially if you're white. So I guess that's kind of the message from today. If, uh, if you're white, uh, don't have kids. Um, someone needs to uh, clip that up and share that around on the internet. Um, look at this guy trying to end the white race guys on that uh, note thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode feel free to uh, share with a friend leave a nice review on the internet um, all of that helps other people find the podcast thank you for listening hopefully I'll see you at a live show but if not I'll see you next week with a new episode of Topical with Michael Shaver <laughs>